Turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we continue our study through Samuel. Uh, following here the life and reign of King David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. The one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what was evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this same before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and you would speak to us. We pray that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And that the sheep would hear the voice of their good shepherd and know him and follow him. That we might offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. 
inexcusable. From what he wrote in Psalm 32, we know that David was torn up inside after what he did to Uriah and Bathsheba. David had uh, taken uh, Bathsheba, and when she had come to be with child, you know the story, we saw it a few weeks ago, he uh, conspired to have Uriah killed in battle, thus the affair was covered up, and then David took Bathsheba as his own wife. But like Adam and Eve at the very beginning, David, by his own testimony, was torn up on the inside. In fact, he says in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But also like Adam and Eve, though he was torn up on the inside over what he had done, he was running away from God. But as he had done with Adam and Eve, God came after him. And here in 2 Samuel 12, the Lord comes after David by sending his prophet, Nathan. And the message of Nathan to David is you are inexcusable. Let's look at it. First in this passage, you see condemning ourselves condemning ourselves look at verse 1 and the Lord sent Nathan to David he came to him and said to him there were two men in a certain city the one rich and the other poor the rich man had very many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children he used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now we see what Nathan does. He, he comes to David and tells him a story, a story with which David can readily identify. David is a shepherd by nature. He's a shepherd by training, by his upbringing. He is a shepherd. He has the heart of a shepherd. For all the terrible things David had done, there's still inside of him the heart of a shepherd raised up by his father Jesse. So Nathan tells the shepherd about two men. 
One is wealthy, has many flocks and herds. And the other man is a poor man. He has but one little ewe lamb. And we just read that that little ewe lamb, he ate food from the poor man's table. He drank from the poor man's cup. He even rocked his little ewe lamb to sleep in his arms like his own child. Now he had children and it, it was their pet lamb. The family loved this little lamb. Now the rich man has a guest. He needs to feed his company. But he doesn't want to kill off any of his own flock. And so he takes, he steals the one little ewe lamb from the poor man, kills it, feeds it to his company. Now, David's reaction to that story is much the same as anyone's reaction would be. Look at verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I don't expect any reasonable human being would have any different reaction to that story from King David. That's terrible what that rich man did. But David finds this story has a sting in the tail. Look at verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. That's exactly what David has done. He who has wives and concubines has stolen the one wife of a poor man and he is responsible for his murder. Now, why does Nathan approach David in this way? He could have been more direct. Simply come to him. He didn't have to tell his story. He simply said, you done a horrible thing. There was a great uh, great preacher by the name of Von Cortone. He was invited to preach uh, before the Hague. 
And uh, he, didn't, he didn't want to preach uh, before a bunch of politicians, uh, but uh, he was, uh, uh, his arm was twisted to go, and uh, Von Cortone, uh, he, uh, he told the, uh, the uh, body that uh, he would go only if they promised him that every single member of the Hague, uh, Copenhagen, would be present. No one would be absent. Full body would be assembled when he preached to them. So he did. Well, he preached to them about the story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And you remember that story, the, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, this, uh, the treasurer of the nation of Ethiopia is riding along uh, in his chariot. He's reading the Bible. He happens to be reading from Isaiah 52 and 53, and uh, he asked Philip to explain him about this man who's suffering. He explains that's Jesus, and the, uh, the, uh, the eunuch converts and becomes the Ethiopian treasurer, uh, converts and becomes a Christian. Well, he, uh, he decided, Von Cortone preached this to, the, to this assembled body of politicians, and he had a four-point sermon. Point one, a politician who read his Bible, something rare. <laughs> Point two, a politician who admitted his ignorance, something rarer. Point three, a politician who asked advice from a lesser man, something rarer still. And number four, a politician who was converted, the rarest thing of all. Von Cortone was never invited to preach again. <laughs> you know, Nathan could have taken that approach with David. Blunt, aggressive, and yet he doesn't. He tells this story and lures David in. There's a principle in Scripture. Jesus says, with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. You will be measured by your own standard. Uh, people have always wondered how a loving God can send people to hell. Well, the short, blunt answer is because we're sinners. Sinners deserve to go to hell, period. But God does it in such a way as to leave us without excuse. He lets us condemn ourselves. You see, if God judges us, if he judges me, by the same standard that I use on everyone else. God doesn't have to condemn me. I've already condemned myself. He doesn't have to send me to hell. I've already sent myself. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And uh, this will be our only... Uh, Detour today, Romans 2. 
And look at verse 1, Romans 2, 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You are inexcusable. You judge someone else and you are doing the very same thing. And this is exactly what has happened with King David. He has declared that a man that stole a lamb must die and yet he has stolen a human being and murdered her husband. Friends, We may think we've not been as bad as David. But we are, every one of us, inexcusable before God. When it's all said and done, and we stand before the throne of God, and he uses our own standard that we've used on everyone else, and he turns it back on us. Our own standard. Every one of us stands guilty before the judge of all the world, condemning ourselves. Secondly, in this passage, we see just judgment. Just judgment. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, we're back on the text. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord... Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Or, in other words, it says before the son, I do it in broad daylight. Again, the Lord uses David's own words and actions against him. You took Bathsheba, I will have your wives taken. Now that's going to happen. We'll get to that in due time as we work through Samuel. God says the sword will not depart from your house. You tore up Uriah's house. I will tear up the very house that I promised to build you. I won't destroy it. But I'll hit it with a wrecking ball. This is what David deserves. This is justice. Simply rewarding him on the basis of his own actions and his own standard of judgment. If we get straight justice from God, we are in serious trouble. If he judges us, our actions by the same standards we use on everyone else, 
If he rewards us according to our own works, by our own standards, we are done. That's justice. So we see condemning ourselves. We see just justice. Thirdly, in this passage, we see plain repentance. Plain repentance. Look at the first part of verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. It's plain. No excuses, no flowery language, no attempt to placate or placate God with a fancy apology. We do that. We hope that by giving a good enough speech, we can make it all go away. Explain it away. Rationalize it. David will have none of this. I have sinned against God. Period. David wrote, Out of his experience, not only Psalm 32, we mentioned earlier, he wrote Psalm 51, which we've sung and we'll sing a little more of it later. But he says, God, be merciful to me. You know, Jesus told another story And in that story, the Lord Jesus quotes the words of David. God, be merciful to me. He told a story about two men that went up into the temple to pray. One was the most religious man in Israel. Other was a tax collector, which meant he was a thief and a traitor. And you remember the beautiful, impressive words of the Pharisee, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, unjust, extortioners, adulterers, or even as that tax collector. But the tax collector stood afar off, would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how to come before God. Lord Jesus says when you pray, do not suppose that you'll be heard because of many words. The same holds true with repentance. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. All David can say is, I have sinned against the Lord. There's nothing I can say to explain it. Nothing I can say to dig myself out of this hole. Nothing I can say to go to make it go away. I've sinned against God. And that's all I have to say. Plain repentance. That's the only way to go. Condemning ourselves, just judgment, plain repentance. And fourthly and finally in this passage, we see severe mercy. 
Severe mercy. Look at the end of verse 13. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Now notice, David repents of his sin. And the Lord, the, the word of the Lord is that he has put away your sin. You will not die. God shows mercy to David. But there are still tremendous consequences, immediate consequences and long-term consequences. We'll spend the rest of our study of 2 Samuel dealing with the consequences of David's sin. You know, that's the history of the whole world. Man sinned. And God showed mercy. But there are tremendous consequences. Immediate consequence is this child, the only innocent person. And I believe in original sin, but only completely innocent person involved is killed like his innocent father or what would have been Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Only innocent people involved have died. There is mercy but there are tremendous consequences. The Lord put away David's sin and he will put away, he will take away the sin of all who will plainly and simply repent of it by putting it on the one true innocent son of David. There's only one way for sin to be put away from us. And that's for it to be put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a severe mercy. Mercy that cost the life of the son of David, the son of God. But there is mercy for the worst sinner, the worst sin, for those who will simply say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I have sinned against the Lord for you. There is mercy. There is grace greater than the worst sin.
in Jesus Christ. You remember the dying words of the great preacher Newton wrote that many great hymns, wrote Amazing Grace. And his mind was going, and as he lay on his deathbed, his friends that were with him recorded that John Newton said, I am old and I cannot remember much, but I still remember that I am a great sinner. And Jesus Christ is a great Savior. David's sin was great. My sin is great. Your sin is great. But Jesus Christ is greater than all our sins. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.